morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. It's kind of weird. Stage is dark. Lights come up, and here I am sitting in a chair. Woo! Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, your people. Lord, how I love your folk and so grateful for what you're doing in our midst. But Lord, do some wonderful things in the lives of everybody today. Explain to us what's on your heart in such a way it's life-changing. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. Let's turn to Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're studying today a topic that probably more people ask questions about than anything else. And that is discerning God's will for my life. How do I know I'm doing what God wants me to do? I've got two jobs. How do I discern which one I should take and which one I should should not take? And um, here's a question. What's easier? Let's say you're going to open a restaurant. There's one of two ways to do that. Either you can just rent a place and go for it. You've never even been in a kitchen in your entire life. And you're going to learn to run a great restaurant by trial and error. Is that a good way to do that? Someone say, no. Or would it be better to learn from somebody else who has paid the hard, hard price through trial and error? Which one's better, one or two? That's right, two is better. And so what I'm going to share today, uh, I'm not an authority on it, but I've been chasing the Lord for five decades. And I've wanted to know his will all this time. And so some of the things I'll share today, I pray it is helpful and encouraging to you. And I believe you can take these principles No matter if you've been a follower of Christ for two weeks or 30 years, you can take these principles that I've outlined for you that I've just done through trial and error, and you can live closer to Jesus than I've ever lived. And you can be more effective for him than I'll ever think about doing, because I'm trying to give you a heads up, and it, it looks like a formula, but it is not a formula. It's not, because I can't give you one. God is simply too big, too grand, too holy, too loving, too amazing for me to get my limited intelligence around. I'm kind of like George Beverly Shea, Billy Graham's song leader for 50 years, who at the end of his life, somebody asked uh, Beverly Shea, Uh, Do you know much about God? And he replied, no, actually, I don't know much about God. But what I do know has changed my life. So I'm kind of in the same place. So this is not in your notes, but write it somewhere in your margin, please. And if there's a day that you take notes, take notes today. Take notes today and go back over this later on. So rather than giving you a formula... I want you to know God works through individuals. He works with individuals. If you have four kids, you got to learn kind of the nature of each one and work differently with each child. And that's the way God does. We're different. 
We're made in his image. We hear him differently. We respond differently. We need different things. And he meets us right where we are. Now, here's the good news. God is approachable. Which means he wants a relationship with all of us. And that relationship is based on one thing. He wants you to trust him. And some of the hard things we will go through in life, part of the design is so that we will trust him more and more. Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. Lord, I don't like this, but I trust you. And Lord, I'm going to hang on tight till we get through this. And let's look at this passage together. And the Apostle Paul was used of the Holy Spirit to write this. Everybody got your Bibles? Let's see them. Got your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Okay. Ephesians 5. And I have English, New English Standard of verse 15. Look carefully, then how you should walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise Making the most, making the best of your time because the days are what? What did he say? Evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if I could just touch on these three verses and maybe add a couple of um, definitions. When... Paul says be careful. He means you need to be observant. Keep your eyes open. Be careful, be observant. Be deliberately how you walk. And the word walk doesn't mean like physically walking up steps. It's how you live. Be careful how you live. You only have one life. It's a short life. Make it count. Stay away from as many mistakes as you can. Make good decisions. And don't be unwise but rather be what what does he say be what be wise and wisdom has nothing to do with iq wisdom has nothing to do with how many degrees you've got the best definition i've ever heard of wisdom is learning to see life the way god sees it and if you do that you'll be successful practically in everything you touch then verse 16, he says, make the most of your time because it's very fleeting. It goes by, has anybody in the room had a birthday in the last five years or so? Have you had birthdays? Okay. You keep having birthdays? I keep having birthdays. And life goes by very fast and it's very easy to waste a day, waste a week, waste a month, waste a decade, maybe even waste your entire lifetime. And we, want, we only have one day today. So we need to make that day count as much as we can. Then Paul goes on to say, because the days are what? Okay, I want to show you a picture. What is this picture? This is D-Day. You know what? When he says evil, I'm trying to get my head around. What does he mean by evil? It means difficult. It means hard. It even means dangerous. Uh, does anybody know the date of D-Day, the invasion of Europe? Anybody know? June 6, 1944. So you look at that picture. These are landing crafts. And in this particular landing craft, it's got a gate or a door. And when that door, when that gate drops down, there are hundreds of German 
machine guns up on those cliffs and pillboxes. And what they were shooting, the Americans called them buzzsaws because when that German soldier released the trigger and that automatic weapon, it sounded like a buzzsaw. And when that gate goes down, half of those guys could die in five seconds. As a matter of fact, uh, 4,400 young men lost their lives in the water and on the beaches. Now, living for Jesus can be perilous too because we can get deceived, we can get tricked, we can get taken out. And so Paul goes on to say, don't be foolish. In other words, don't be reckless, don't be stupid. Have you guys made any stupid decisions? Anybody? Anybody made, invented the stupid card and got a t-shirt, bought the condo, moved there, spent years in stupid land and went, how did I get here? Well, you were not wise. So what's the opposite of being unwise? He says it. Understand what the will of God is. I believe it's attainable for all of us. And I, 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 excuse me, time out. I don't want to communicate this is easy. I don't want to communicate you'll never make a mistake. I don't want to communicate that this is just a snap and you fill out the outline, you got it made. I have struggled for a long time trying to discern God's will, but I have stayed at it. And when I mistake, I got up and went back again. Now, the two most common things people ask about, well, what is God's will for my life? The two most common things people ask about is my vocation. Uh, Should I be a nurse? Should I open a construction business? Should I go to college? Should I join the Marine Corps? Uh, What should I do? So it's vocation, and I get that. And the other one is what? Location, where should I live? Should I move to California? Should I um, move back home? Should I buy a house? Should I live in a condo somewhere? So those are the two most common, but I want to say it's much bigger than this. God sees all these things very differently than we see them. He says, my ways are not your ways. They're as different as the distance between heaven and earth. So Lord, what are your ways? Well, let me give you some examples. We think about wealth. You interview for a job, you always ask, well, what does this pay? If you decide to go back and get a master's degree, okay, what, what, what will I make? Well, it, it's good to make money, and I suggest make as much as you can, be wise with your money. But there's something more important in wealth, and that is wisdom. If you make a ton of money, but you're foolish, your money has actually hurt you. And God wants us to have wisdom. And sometimes he will sacrifice wealth so we will have the bigger picture things, and that's wisdom. We think about power. Uh, Frankfurt, Washington, Lexington, business, sports, entertainment, bottom line, it's all about power. And yet, for us who follow Jesus, he has a different goal, and that is purity of heart. Say purity, please. And he will sacrifice position 
So he will work on things in our heart that needs to change. Everything in life is about heart. It's not about head. It's not about money. It's about heart. Lord, what are you dealing with in my heart? We think about comfort. We all like comfort. Lord, I don't want pressure. Lord, I don't want bad things to happen. Lord, I don't want uh, disappointment. Well, I get that. He understands. But the Lord thinks much bigger. He thinks about preparation for ministry. And sometimes he will allow a young man like Joseph at age 17 go to prison for 10 years so he could shape him and prepare him to be prime minister of the biggest empire in the world at the time, Egypt. So don't waste pain. Don't waste suffering. You make mistakes, don't waste them. Learn from them and let the Lord shape you into his image. And we think about our reputation. Guess what? He doesn't care much about our reputation. Well, they shouldn't have said that. Or they shouldn't have stabbed me in the back. Or uh, they hurt me horribly. Hey, that's true. It happens to all of us. But he thinks bigger. He thinks about his reputation. And if I can always go, Lord, for your honor, for your glory, that just centers me. If it's not about me, it's about him. Okay, are you with me so far? Okay. Now let's just think logically about discerning God's will. And I've given you four verses on each one of these points. So if the Lord wants us to know his will, and it seems clear he does, would you repeat this verse with me, please? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel with you with my eye upon you. Now, my father raised and trained horses, and his horses could look at my at his face and know what they should do. He was such a good trainer. If you are parenting your children, your children should look at your face and look at your eye. And if your eye says stop, they should stop. Okay? And the Lord, in the same way, disciplines us. He wants us. He doesn't want to put pressure on us. He wants a nudge. He wants, say, look, Steve, and then I know what I should do or not do. Third point. So if he wants us to know and we are committed to doing his will, that's the hard part. Because I think a lot of time we ask what he wants and then we, we go, uh, uh, how about multiple choice, Lord? Give me A or I don't like that. Give me B. Or give me C, or I don't like any of them. Give me, give me a whole new category. No, I'm God. You're not. And he knows right away if we're actually going to do what he asked us to do. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will fall in line as long as we seek him first. So if he wants us to know, and we are committed to doing what he asks, then I believe we should know what his will is. Jesus said when the spirit of, of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide us into how much truth? All truth. Now, I don't want you to be afraid of missing it or not, or not missing it. I think if you're a dedicated follower of Christ, you won't miss his will for very long. 
If I miss it on Monday, he's going to give me another chance on Wednesday. Because he's my father and he loves me. The, the point is dedicated. If you're dedicated, he will come back. Now, I want to give you 11 principles that I've just seen in my life. Maybe only one of them or two of them register with you, but I pray it's an encouragement. Here's the very number one, and that is the Word of God. David wrote, Your Word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet. Your Word is a light to my path. Every day of my life, for the rest of my life. And I want to say, God's word will never contradict his will. Never will. It never will contradict his his heart and his will. Now, there's a couple of words I want to throw out to you that will help you. The first one is logos. Say logos which is a Greek word for the word, and it is a general word. It's true for everybody. Like what? You shall not commit adultery. Your believer acting out sexually crazy is going to work against you. If a Christian man says, hey, I'm leaving my wife, I've fallen in love with my secretary, she's a Christian, and we're going to run off together and get married... And I know God's for that. I go, God is not for that. He will not break his, his, his law. You need to humble yourself. And we need to help you. Here's another one. You shall not bear false witness. Christians tell the truth. Christians don't steal. Right? Are you with me? Here's another one. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. In this day and time, it doesn't, seems like it's not something that's on everybody's radar, but when you get married, if you're a believer, hopefully you're a virgin when you get married on the night of your honeymoon. That is God's way. Fornication is having sex before you get married, and the scripture says God will judge this, which means you hurt yourself. You don't need three people in your bed before you get married. You learn nothing but bad. Get nothing but harm. And so it's not, it's not, we're not throwing rocks today. We're just saying, this is the truth. This is what God says. Now, here's another side of it. The word rhema. Everyone say rhema. It's, it means a specific word. You're reading the Bible and it jumps out. You're hearing somebody teach like maybe today and something jumps out and go, oh my this is life-changing today. Now, I was raised in the church. We didn't tithe. We gave some money. Uh, I heard about the principle of tithes and offerings. I'm reading Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. My, I worked for a newspaper. My wife was a school teacher. We made good money. We had money problems. I heard about this. And I just said, Lord, do you want me to bring my tithe to the local storehouse? Yes. We started doing it. It made no sense. If you're not living on 100%, how can you live on 90%? So we started doing it. We just said, Lord, we're going to honor you because of a rhema word. And here's the miracle. We were still broke. Everything was tight. We still worked like dogs. 
But in three years, we paid all our debts off. Because God said, I'll open the windows of heaven over your life if you'll just honor me. That was a rhema, life-changing word for me. Here's another one. This is Myrtle Beach. I had been a Christian two years. I was asked to be a lifeguard at a girls' camp at Myrtle Beach for the summer. I was the only male with a hundred women. I needed sanctification. <clears throat> I only book I took was a Bible. I didn't take a radio, didn't take any kind of music thing. I had quiet times three days a week because I realized I could be in real trouble. So I spent three quiet times with the Lord every day. A lot of girls gave their heart to the Lord. During the two years I'd been a Christian, I didn't want to be governor anymore. I didn't want to be rich anymore. I didn't want to be famous anymore. I wanted to serve Jesus. And one night in the little cabin I was staying in, the Holy One walked through a wall. I never saw him. I knew he was there. And he called me to vocational ministry. All of us are called to full-time ministry. Vocational means that's your primary thing. And he gave me a couple of verses, and this is one of the verses he gave me. He said, Steve, my son came to seek and save that which is lost. Will you do the same thing? And I said, Lord, I will. Now, just because he speaks doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow, right? Right? So I had a calling. Okay, Lord, I'm going to serve you. And I thought in a year's time, I'll be in China and we'll lead a million Chinese to Jesus and I'll be on. No, he had me go home and work with three teenagers. It took me 10 years for part of that calling to be fulfilled. Now, if you've never led anybody to Jesus or you're not good at it or you're scared and you'd like to get better at sharing your faith, it's very easy to do. Thursday nights, we train people to lead others to Christ. We do 12 weeks, starts at 6 o'clock this coming Thursday. If you'd like to be good at it, we would love to have you join us. I want to help you. Uh, If you've noticed, since my surgery, I've lost a little weight. That's me this morning. Here's another verse that that same night, the Holy One walked through the walls of that cabin. He said, Steve, get up out of your bed, and I want you to read the story of Samson. And I said, well, Lord, I know the story of Samson well. I mean, I've been a Christian two years. I've read it several times. This man, Samson, was called from birth to deliver his country, his nation, from oppression. And he only partially fulfilled it. What happened? Well, this is what happened. His parents could not have children. And in their prayers, they prayed. And one day, a super being stepped out of the invisible, an angel, and came to Samson's mother and said, you're going to have a son this spring. And he said, but this boy's going to be different. He's going to be a man of God. 
and I want you to raise him as a Nazarite. Everyone say Nazarite from birth. A Nazarite means he never cut his hair. They would put their, their hair in seven locks, two down the side, three down the back, and it was a sign of this man's commitment to the Lord. He was to never touch alcohol. He was not to mess with the dead. He was to keep himself holy and consecrated in order to fulfill his mission. If he didn't do that, he wouldn't fulfill his mission. And so the Nazarite vow that his mother and daddy took for this little fellow was to consecrate him and to keep him close to the Lord. Unfortunately, Samson broke every single vow. Everyone. So when the Lord told me, he said, Steve, get up and read, read the story. I went, well, Lord, I know it. Steve, get up and read the story. So I read the story, and then he said, I want you to focus on the parents. He said, Steve, since you were 13, you've come from a good family, but you've been a drunken, partying, foolish idiot. And if you accept my call, and he said, do not tell me tonight whether you accept or not. You must count the cost. If you put your hand to the plow and you go backward, it's not going to go good for you. And he said, I will not tolerate you going backward. And that is why today, after all these years, I do not touch alcohol. I've got alcoholism all in my family. I've been an influencer but I don't touch alcohol because of a rhema word that the Lord told me not to. Now, number two, it's abiding prayer. Say abiding prayer. Now, it's not just prayer. Abiding prayer is very different. Abiding means you're close to God. You live close to God. See, a lot of Christians pray like this. Hey, God, my name is Jimmy. I'll take all your gimme. They think that God is an ATM. You slide a card in, punch numbers, you get stuff back. That's what prayer is. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is a relationship. And the Lord wants a relationship with you. In John 15, 10 different times, the Lord uses the word abide. Abide means to live really close. And read the verse with me, please. If you abide in me and my words, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. If you learn to abide very close, the Lord will do things for you he won't do for anybody else. It's because you live very close to him. So I would encourage you, pray about everything. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. If he knows how many sparrows are in Jesmond County, and there's a scripture that points out he knows every one of them, I wouldn't doubt if he hadn't named them. And he cares about anything you care about. And he wants you to talk to him about them so he can help you. Number three is follow peace. Everyone say follow peace. 
Now, this, this one has helped me about as much as any of them. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart. So, you either ha- when I have inner peace, that's, that's the language of the Holy Spirit. If I don't have inner peace, it's a sign something is wrong. Either my heart is bad, or either I'm under, under attack, and to me, it is like a red flag. If I don't have peace, something's afoot, and I need to stop. I need to not take another step, because I need to let the peace of God act like a umpire in my heart. Now, if someone asks me to do something, and i got to make a quick decision... I don't know which one is the best because neither one of them are wrong, but one's better than the other one. I'll just I'll just close my eyes and pray and say, Lord, which one? And the one I have most peace about is the one I go with. This is very important. If you have a check, everyone say check, in your spirit. In other words, something's off. Buying that car makes sense. It's a good price. You need that car. It seems perfect, but something inside you says, no, that's a check. Don't do it. Do not move forward because a check in your spirit is a red light. If you run through that red light, you may get T-boned. Number four is fasting. Everyone say fasting. Most Christians have never fasted much. Fasting is doing without food in order to get clarity from the Lord. Now look at the map. You see the map? Do you see Syria on the bottom right? Do you see Syria? Okay, this is a time, uh, this is about 30 years after Jesus. There is a prayer meeting in a place called Antioch of Syria. And in that prayer meeting, it was only about 10 people. They are worshiping, they are praying, and they are fasting. And the Holy Spirit spoke internally to some people and said, set apart these two young men in their 20s, Paul and Silas, for the work I'm calling them to. And that was so important. It was the birth of missions. For the entire world. So I found if I have to make a decision doing without food for a period of time, it puts my heart in neutral. It slows everything down. If I miss a couple of meals, if I miss a day, if I miss three days, if I miss a week, it's a very important thing I need to hear from the Lord. And I would just counsel never make important decisions where are you go go to college should you take that job should you marry that person because god is never in a hurry we are in a hurry and fasting slows you down you know think think with me if missing a couple of meals a week would cause the spirit of god to fall on your children would it be worth it yeah 
Missing a couple meals a week, if it would open your neighborhood to the gospel, would it be worth it? I think so. Because not normally during the fast, but after the fast is over, things get much more clear. Here, I was dating my wife. I still date my wife. but We dated for a year. And I just needed clarity. I love that girl. I could see me living with her for 50 years. But I, I wanted to make sure God gave me the green light. And so I spent three days in a hotel. I fasted for three days and said, Lord, you tell me what you want. And uh, he gave me the green light. I don't know what would have happened if he'd told her no. Gave me the green light. Number five, spiritual authority. I need to teach on this because I haven't taught on this a long time. One of the ways the Lord will guide Christians is through spiritual authority. He will use people to guide us, to shape us, and protect us. In the New Testament, there are four forms of spiritual authority. Family. Once I learned that God would use my parents when I was a single guy to guide me, it took all the contention out of our home. Church is number two. Work is number three. If your boss wants you to do something, do all you can to do it. And government. And I know you say, well, gosh, we, we have a wacky government. I get that. But Paul had Nero as emperor. And he still wrote this. Well, Steve, what if I'm asked by those in authority to do wrong? Two things. One, you appeal. Here, Daniel is asked, he and his three friends, to eat food that Jews dedicated to idols should never eat. And instead of just saying, no, I'm not going to do it, he just said, well, can I offer an alternative that will get the same goal? And the supervisor said, yes. Or the other thing is, I just suffer for doing wrong. I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do that. If I need to leave my job, I'll just have to leave my job. And uh, Sorry. Six is wise counsel. I do not want to be a Lone Ranger. I've been a Lone Ranger a good part of my life. Headstrong, arrogant, didn't need to ask anybody's advice. As I have aged and matured, I realized I need counsel around me. I need counsel of other pastors. On our staff, it's best idea wins. I'm not an autocrat. We, I facilitate. We work together. In the abundance of counselors, there is victory. And I want you to write this in the margin somewhere. Will you please write this down? Wise counsel keeps you from being impulsive. Has anybody ever been impulsive? Hold your hand. Uh, hold your impulsive hands up, okay? Being impulsive is not a fruit of the Spirit. Wise counsel will help you get perspective. If nine people are telling you no when you think you should say yes, you're probably the one that's wrong. Number seven, careful and wise thinking. This is Bill Bright. As a brand new Christian at Clemson University, 
I got pulled into crew or campus crusade. This guy is one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. He had something called the sound mind principle. And he gets this from 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So here's what I do. One of the things I do in making decisions. I get a legal pad like that. Get a marker. I draw right down the middle of it. I put plus signs on one side. I put negative sign on the other side. And I start listing reasons. Here's an example. In my first church, I was making $5,500 a year. That was my salary. We had one little boy born, Josh. And then Sue got pregnant. Second little boy. And she had just gotten a job teaching elementary at Spencer County Elementary. And she was making four times what I was making. And I made an assumption. Don't make assumptions. Write that in the margin. Don't make assumptions. I made an assumption that she was making four times as much as me. That she would keep working. And I would attempt to raise two boys in a very flawed way. And then I just said, I haven't even prayed about it. So when I prayed about it, I went to a farmer, a friend of mine, and I said, well, what do you think, Willard? I mean, I, I, I don't know what to do. He gave me wise counsel. He said raising our children was really, really important. So I sat down in prayer, and I wrote 10 reasons why Sue should come home and quit her job. And I thought, why would I let somebody else raise my own kids? And then I had two reasons why she should stay at work. Does anybody know what the two reasons were? Money and money. <laughs> it became very clear. And she, we both agreed. Now, every family's different. You make your own decisions, but she quit her job. And she came home. Uh, I started getting pay raises. The Lord started helping me, and the Lord replaced her income. The scripture says the spiritual man, person, appraises all things. Number eight, open and closed doors. I don't use this as much as I used to as a brand new Christian. Lord, if, if, if you want me to have that job, may that job stay open. Or close the door. If you want me to buy that property, then Lord, you keep that property available. Or if you don't, sell it between now and the weekend. And the Lord used that. It can be a little risky. Here's a guy named Gamaliel. During the time of Paul, he was the most noted rabbi in his time in all Israel. He had a very famous pupil. Do you know who he was? Saul of Tarsus or Paul was one of his students. So here they are. The Sanhedrin, the ruling religious body, is going to either kill James and John or free them for preaching the gospel and tearing, getting all Jerusalem all upset. And so Gamaliel, after the end of the discussion, he stood up and he said this, you know, let me say, if this plan of what these men are doing is of man, it'll just fall apart. Why are we worried about it? 
But if it's of God, we will not overcome them. We may even find ourselves working against God. And that settled the group, and they freed the two men. Number nine. Dreams, visions, and the prophetic. Now, I've not had a lot of dreams where the Lord spoke. Most of my dreams are stupid dreams. I ate too much pizza, or I... Uh, got tackled in the end zone in a, in a Super Bowl game, or I showed up to church with the right clothing on, or I left my sermon someplace, or a lion was chasing me. It's just stupid dreams, most of them. Visions, I've had a couple. The prophetic has been a blessing from time to time. There are certain people, even in this room, that seem to have an extra cable where they hear from the Lord before other people. And that is a treasure. And John said this, don't believe everything. Test everything. Even test test what I teach. Don't just swallow what anybody teaches. But here's what these things should be. They should be confirmational. Everyone say confirmational. Rather than directional. If somebody comes to me and says, Steve, we think you and your wife should move to the Philippines next week. I go, well, thank you very much. When the Lord tells me, I'll leave. But he hadn't said anything like that to me. Here's John Wimber that founded the vineyard. I was at a conference years ago before he passed away. And he ministered to a group of us and he gave a prophetic word over me. And the word was powerful. The word was life-changing. But it was confirmational for what the Lord had already told me. Does that make sense? It confirmed it. Uh, Here's another example. Paul arrives in Caesarea. There's a noted prophet by the name of Agabus. He comes up to Paul. Paul has a brand new leather belt on. He takes Paul's leather belt off. He sits on the ground and he he ties his own ankles and hands together. And he says, the Holy Spirit today says this. The man who owns this belt, when he goes to Jerusalem, the Jews will arrest him and turn him over to the Gentiles. Well, that freaked the church out. And they said, Paul, you're not going. Paul, you're not going. And Paul said, you don't understand. What Agabus heard confirmed what Jesus himself told me. That I had to go to Jerusalem. And I had to go to Rome in order to preach the gospel. So it is not disappointing. It is confirming what the Lord has already said. Here's another example. Acts chapter 16. You see the yellow on the far right? That is today what is Turkey. And there's a place called Troas, Troas, where the city of Troy was. So Paul and a few others are there, and they're about to go right further into Asia when the Holy Spirit forbade them to go. No, 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 no. The same night, he has a dream. Where a man from Macedonia, do you see Macedonia? Do you see it? In the dream, a man from Macedonia said, come over and help us. And Paul saw that not as directional, 
but confirming what he'd already heard. Number 10 is a fleece. I want to caution you with this. As a brand new Christian, I did this all the time. It's kind of a little dumb now. I would say, Lord, if you really want me to do this, may the 12th car that comes in front of me be a yellow Volkswagen with three guys from Ethiopia. And about 15 minutes, a yellow Volkswagen would often come by with three guys from Ethiopia, and they would actually pull over and stop and talk to me. I would go, Lord, I guess I better obey you. But it can be dangerous because the Satan can manipulate circumstances too. And here in the book of Judges, Gideon, who was called to the Lord, he just said, ah, you called me to be a deliverer. I'm the least in my family. Why would you call me? And so I'm going to use a fleece to discover your will. And so tonight, outside of my tent in this desert, I'm going to put this rug, his sheepskin down. And when I get up in the morning, if you really want me to lead your people, I pray this thing would be completely soaked with dew, but all the ground around it be dry. He gets up the next morning. He picks it up. It is full of water. He wrings out the whole thing and makes a whole bowl full of water. And does he obey the Lord? No. Everyone say no. Why doesn't he obey the Lord? I'm sorry, the answer's on the screen. Why doesn't he obey the Lord? Unbelief. He said, oh, Lord, excuse me. I know you spoke. It was dramatic. You gave me a deliberate sign, but I'm still not sure. So I'm going to ask the reverse. Can, are you big enough to do the reverse? So I'm going to put the same fleece or rug out. But yet I'm going to say this time, may it be completely dry and all the ground soaked in the desert. That's what happened. Now, Gideon did not do this to determine God's will, but to confirm. But God had already told him. And I want to say, I think I'm guilty of the same thing. He tells me, he burdens me, he tells me to get to moving. I'm unsure, I don't think I can do it, I don't have the time. And I keep going, well, Lord, do you really want this? And so I, I'm the same way. Are you the same way? I still struggle with this. And even he was begging God, please don't get angry at me, but I'm unsure of myself. The bottom line is the witness of the Holy Spirit is better than a wet rug. And you have the Holy Spirit since you've been born again, and he did not. So we have no excuses. Worship team, would you guys come, please? Number 11 is the voice of God. People ask me sometimes, Steve, do people today hear the audible voice of God? And I believe some people have. I've even got some friends that said the Lord spoke audibly to them. He has never spoke audibly to me. It would probably mess me up so bad I would go live under a mobile home somewhere and never come out. So I think he does. But here's, here's Elijah, who's in the desert. And the scripture says the voice of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing? Why are you here? And I believe the voice of God to your spirit, because he's spirit. Now notice the three circles. We have a body. 
We live in a body, we have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, but essentially we are a spirit. So when God speaks to us, he doesn't speak to our mind so much as he speaks first to our spirit. I sense something. I feel something. And it can be so real, it seems like he's right here speaking in my ear. Another last example. Sue and I feel this stirring to take the next steps in ministry. We visited Asbury Seminary. It was Memorial Day, 1983. She taught school. I worked for a newspaper. And uh, I was 29. That morning, I got up and did what I always do. I went for a prayer walk. I've been a prayer walker for a long time. So I'm walking under those beautiful oak trees in front of Asbury University's campus. I'm just minding my own business, praying softly, and the voice of the Lord speaks clearly. And he said, Steve, this is where I want you for the next three years. And when he said that, it changed everything. Four months later, we had moved, we'd sold everything, I moved to Kentucky. So he speaks, and I, it doesn't happen that often for me. But what happens almost every day, I get little nudges, go help that person. I get thoughts. I get prompts. And I write them down. Because that's the voice of the Lord too. And I don't want to miss what he's pointing out to me or what he's saying to me. And if you're on this journey and you're unsure, just wait. This may sound weird, but I want to share it. In all these years, initially, I don't think I've ever been 100% sure. Never. When I got saved, it was about 55% because I thought, I am so self selfish, I, I can't live for God. When I married my beloved wife, it was about 85%. Even at the altar, I was going, Lord, because not her, because, again, I'm so selfish and self-centered. But looking back, I've always seen, and here's what I do. Sometimes the best I can do is I feel this is what God wants me to do. And I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to get moving. Because if I stay, 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 I will miss the opportunity. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Because if you make a mistake, he's your father. He allows U-turns. Now we have with us the elements of the Lord's table. Would you would you pull it out with you? And I want to say this is not a religious ceremony. It's not just something Christians. There's so much power in the Lord's table. Go ahead and open where the bread is. And you don't have to be a member of this church to take the Lord's table, but we ask that you be walking with him and you committed to him.
And this, if you'd put the bread in your right hand, is saying, Lord, as your body was broken for me, I'm telling you, I'm in all the way. And I'm in for the rest of my life. And I'll do whatever you ask me to do. His body broken for us. Take and eat. And if you would open the other side. Aren't you glad for the blood of Christ that forgives us for every sin? That takes away the shame of our past and our bad mistakes. And times we were just horrible. It's the blood that forgives us and gives us a privilege of being sons and daughters of the living God. Not our performance, the blood. Take and drink. As we worship for our final time, I pray the Lord has spoken to you. I pray whatever he says, you say yes to him. The altar is open. There's people here that will pray with you. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, and maybe you're watching online, give your heart to Jesus today. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of running. I surrender my life to you. Make me your child.
lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. My whole life now is for you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. My whole life down before you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. My whole life now is for you. that you took up your cross and 
you demonstrated the way for us to take up our cross behind you. We love you and we thank you for being with us this morning. We give you all honor and praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here today. If you are still receiving ministry, we'd still love to pray for you all. Have a wonderful day. Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.